0: There are Jews in the world, there are Buddhists, there are Hindus and Mormons, and then, there are those that follow Mohammed's but, I've never been one of them. How's your faith these days, Father? Domine, <laughs> Oh, you are so big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. Hey, I'm glad you found my podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. If this isn't, welcome back. Either which way I hope you're subscribed giving me some stars and want to stick around and listen it's been a really tough week for me in fact I should be probably getting ready for work instead I'm finishing this up before I go probably going to be late oh well don't care I want to get this done listen it's been a tough time for everybody so just remember love each other okay anyway 7th Sunday of uh, Easter let's hit it we are in I think it was John yep John here we go It's the 17th chapter of his gospel verses 20 through 26 I ask not only on behalf of these but also on behalf of those who will believe me through their word that they may all may be one as you father are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I have given them Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love which, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is a beautiful little uh, chunk of verses. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter. It's a Sunday between Ascension Day and Pentecost, which is the birthday of Jesus' church, according to most people. And I suppose it's appropriate to call it an in-between-the-times Sunday. falling between Jesus leaving the disciples and ascending into heaven and coming of the Spirit, this Sunday sits here, just in-between. I also think it's appropriate that we call ourselves in between people. We're sitting here in between what the church was and what the church can be in the future. The presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Reverend Michael Curry, last year during the pandemic said that once that we are in the narthex, a space between the outside world and the church's sanctuary. And we're there in this new place and in our narthex is one of history it's one where due to the pandemic the way the church was probably can't continue you know as a society so much has changed all that anxiety all that misery all that separation that was caused by the pandemic on one end And then before us is a future which is reshaped even as we speak. And the gospel for the seventh Sunday encapsulates this in between the times moment. This beautiful, powerful prayer of Jesus for the unity of his followers just sits here. In verse 21, he got to the heart of the issue when he prayed that all who followed him might be as one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Notice that demonstrating the oneness of the followers of Christ is to be our way of showing the world that Jesus is Lord. Unfortunately, the Church of Jesus Christ falls significantly short of realizing Jesus' unity prayer. Just drive down the street of any community, And you can see how differences in race, national origin, history, creeds, politics, personal opinion, and even styles of worship have splintered Christ's universal church. There are times when I have trouble putting my thoughts together for writing my sermons for this podcast, and I can go online and find men of God preaching for unity, with exceptions. So many followers of Christ have those they want to exclude. Some have found pretender flounder to set a priority to overcome our differences and live in unity with peace, justice, and harmony. And it feels like when they say, well, let us agree to disagree, what they mean is let us agree to disagree until the Lord shows you that I am right. Kind of messed up if you ask me. So what happens in the church reflects what goes on in a broader society. In 1776, we were getting our act together as a nation, and among other things, we needed an official seal with an official motto. A committee recommended what we know today as the Great Seal of the United States a bald eagle with a fluttering yellow ribbon in its beak, our model in capital letters on the ribbon E pluribus unum, out of many, one. Now, initially, this model was intended to express how the 13 distinct colonies were coming together to form one nation. Over the years, we've started to broaden that understanding to include how we are one nation that has been formed by people who came from many different places, who are many different races, who speak many different languages, and who practice many different religions. We are E Unum. Out of many, we are one. And with all the crap and today's frustrations, that seems like a good time to assess exactly how are we doing with being faithful to that national motto. <clears throat> At least, I think we can agree we have significant room for improvement. There are social commentators that even say our national differences are about as entrenched and vitriolic as they were during the Civil War. But and yet. When the political map of the United States is drawn out and portrayed red and blue, with a very few differences, it resembles the political divide of 1860. And here it is Jesus prayed that we be one. But we are a divided church, a divided nation, and a divided world. And there seems to be a lack of willingness to work toward that unity in the church, the nation, and the world. And recently, I heard our national motto, E Pluribus Unum, trashed thoroughly, simply, and succinctly in a grocery store by someone I used to see every Sunday. I told them the church had been opened up for a while, and I couldn't, uh, couldn't wait to see their family back in the pews. I added how much more together the community has grown, and how part of our congregation has started to make food on a regular basis outside again. Uh, for those who don't know, the church I attend, we actually have a taco cart, and it helps pay to send kids to camp. Uh, so, yeah, tacos are delicious, man. Anyway, <clears throat> I, 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 you know, uh, back to the thing, though. When I told them that it had grown and that, you know, uh, we had been com- coming more and more together, they kind of got this look of disgust in their face that, frankly, I'm not interested in this. Mm-hmm. Diversity. I don't want to associate with those beep people. I want to associate only with those who look like me, think like me and believe like me. Not like them, their dumb language and not all, food all over the place. Not like those who they don't want to do the confession every day. And since we friended each other on social media, I can tell you that this person has trouble with relationships as well. Do friends become former friends as soon as they discover they have some differing political opinion or religious view? Disagree with them about some social issue, or don't meet their standards on how to conduct personal finances, raise children, although they don't have any, or even care for a lawn. This person doesn't do well with their family either. They're going through a divorce, they were estranged from their oldest son until he died tragically from cancer because of his origin or orientation I'm sorry origin what the hell anyway that's not it, it's just not surprising to me with everything else piled up there's a very high price for limiting associations to those who look like you think like you believe like you and agree with you in every way and every topic there were very few people in the world who can meet that kind of standard Unfortunately, there may not be any. Robert Frost put it this way, if by one by one we counted people out for the most minor sin, it would not take long before we get to where we had no one left to live with. For to be social is to be forgiving. Each of us is unique, and that's an underlying reality of God's created order. There's no one else like you, or just like me. Billions of genes in the DNA of identical twins, match, but with only the slightest differences. Yet identical twins can tell you they differ in so many ways. Despite our differences, we have to learn to live lovingly in the human community because it is not possible to live with people just like us. Just as Robert Frost puts it, to be social is to be forgiving. And there lies the rub. Coming to terms with our differences and living in unity does not come naturally. It's hard work just getting along with folks who are almost like us taking an enormous effort. Even the thought of living in unity with those who significantly differ from us can be overwhelming. The collective human experience confirms that person view in the grocery store, because It is most accessible. It must be best to associate only with people who look like us and think like us, right? We might even claim that it's due to simple human nature to want to exclude those who are different so that we can associate with those who are most like us. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite movies is the 1952 classic, The African Queen. The film takes place in Central Africa during the First World War. There's Humphrey Bogart as Charlie Olnit, the gin swilling riverboat captain, kinda know where he's coming from, and Katherine Hepburn plays Rose Sayer, a straight-laced missionary who kinda reminds me of my girlfriend. One night, as they float down this crocodile-infested African river, Charlie gets ripped drunk, and Rose is disgusted by his behavior and angrily scolds him. Charlie tries to justify his behavior by claiming getting drunk every once in a while is only human nature. And Rose strained her shoulders and said, Human nature, Mr. Olnutt, is what we are put on this earth to rise above. It's amazing how much truth you can find in the media, isn't it? Wanting to associate only with people who are as much like us as humanly possible comes naturally. It's human nature. However, as people of faith. We are to live by a higher standard than doing what comes naturally. We are called to be the instruments of God in building a world where all the children of the Creator live in peace, in unity, harmony, and justice. That requires rising above human nature. While it is challenging, it is possible to go against what comes naturally, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2a. Now, the New Living Translation, which is an effort to translate the meaning of the text rather than just translate the words, puts this passage beautifully. It says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, perhaps with a tinge of light-hearted humor, religious writer Paul Prather suggested there may be a scientific basis for understanding the biblical admonition to be transformed by changing the way we Prather cited the science of neuroplasty, also called brain plasticity or brain malleability. Um, As close as I understand the science, we're born with brains already downloaded with specific software as human beings. As a result, we come programmed with certain tendencies and predispositions or personality traits. For instance, we think it's human nature to want to associate with people we consider just like us because our brain came programmed for that conclusion. But fortunately, we're not doomed to live our lives with the software we came with. The computer that sits on top of our shoulders constantly gets updates and fixes for glitches based on differing needs and new experiences. By taking that out of the language of computers and putting it into language psychology, we can learn, mature, and change. To put into a theological language of Romans 2:12, 2, 2, you do not have to copy the behavior and customs of the world. You can, God can transform you into a new person by the renewal of your mind. That means God can make you into a new person by changing the way you think, the way you believe, and the way you behave. Now, I know nothing about this uh, particular science of neuroplasticity, I think I said that right or malleability. There's a word I can hit to offer an informed opinion. However, I do know that experience and observation that people can rise above that. What comes naturally to do to what is right in the eyes of God? And it's all based on that experience. The more educated, the more you experience, the more you learn, the easier it is to go with the way of God, to be a more compassionate person, because the more people you're exposed to, the easier it is for you to accept people with their differences. Consider the story of Nelson Mandela. He's the first president of the United South Africa. Mr. Mandela was born in a tiny village of cows, corn, and mud huts in Transkei. A region where black Africans were forced to live apart from white Africans. As a young man, he gravitated toward violent groups that challenged the laws of the apartheid. As a result, the white South African judicial system sentenced him to life in prison. And for many of his nearly three decades in prison, he labored under the hot African sun, using a hammer to make big rocks into little rocks. Indignity upon indignity was heaped upon him, including being denied permission to attend the funerals of his mother and his eldest son. When Mr. Mandela was finally released from prison, he had a reason to be angry and bitter about how white South Africans had treated him. He had a reason to say the time of white dominance was over and now was the time for black dominance. But that did not happen. Instead of leading a bloody race war by calling for revenge for all the past injustices heaped upon the black South African people, Nelson Mandela called for compromise, forgiveness and reconciliation in a nation where all races were represented. How does that happen? Well, I submit to you that it's just one of those mysteries of God's grace. Is a fulfillment of the promise. That the renewal of the mind can transform a person but for those who live between the times it is a glimpse incomplete but still a glimpse into how the world will look when the will of god is done on earth as it is in heaven that door to the narthex is cracked how you find the courage to come together And open the door to the true church that Jesus has called us to form. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll be back. It's almost over. We got Pentecost next week. It's going to be fun, I promise to keep it in English, only because it's kind of cringy when everyone tries to speak another language that they can't. Um, however, hablamos de espanol, pero es no por eso hoy. This and today, this and now, is what I said there. Um, it's not for it. Anyway, have a wonderful week, love each other, take care of each other, and think about it. How do we move this further? Where do we go from here? The narthex is fun to hang out in, but every once in a while you have to go to church. Peace.